Well, one day uh, a father came home and he found a letter from his son and here's what it said. Hey dad, it's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene between mom and you. I've been finding real passion with Jennifer. She's so nice, even with all the piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothing. But it's not only about the passion, Dad. She's pregnant, and Jennifer said that we'll be very happy together. And even though you don't care for her because she is much, much older than I am, she already owns her own trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. She wants to have many more children with me, and now that's one of my dreams too. Jennifer has also taught me that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone, so we'll be growing it for a while and then trading it with all of her friends for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we will pray that science finds a cure for all her diseases, Dad, because she sure deserves it. Now, Dad, don't worry. I'm 15 years old, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit so that you can meet all of your grandchildren. Love your son, John. P.S., Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at the neighbor's house. And I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card sitting on your desk. <laughs> I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. So, <laughs> students, you're welcome. That's my back to school gift to you. Uh, <laughs> as we head in, we are in, uh, we're in this series. We're actually wrapping it up today called The Answer. And we've been looking at questions, right? Because questions are one of the tools that Jesus used to help people learn. And so we've been looking at a series of questions that Jesus asked. And what we've learned from those questions are this, that over 2,000 years later, these questions are still relevant to our lives. And the second thing is that Jesus is the answer. And so today we're going to be taking a look at the question, how much does it cost? Which is really a question about decisions, right? The kinds of decisions we make. We all make decisions every single day. Hopefully some of your decisions don't include lying to your parents about your report card, right? But, uh, but that may be it. I, I don't know. Only use that one when it's really necessary. But looking around at a room like this, right, I know that most of us have made a bad decision in the friends that we chose, or we would be at the beach with them too and not here. So maybe we really need this more than others. I, I don't know. In this series, let me just recap real quick. In week one, we answered the question, uh, who do you say I am? And that, we said, is the most important question that we will ever answer is, do you believe that Jesus is just some guy from history, or do you believe that he is God, right? And your decision on that is to, as to who Jesus is and where you put your trust and where you put your faith it is so important to everything else in life. The second week we answered the question, uh, do you want to get well? Because we all have stuff in our lives that we can't fix, we can't change on our own, um, but Jesus wants to help us with that. And then last week we answered the question, why do you worry? And if you missed it, don't worry. You can go back online. You can watch all of these and, and catch up. But today we're going to talk about decisions because every single day, Right, we all make thousands of decisions. Many of them are, are small, seemingly insignificant decisions, but every single one of those, every choice we make, every decision we make, it leads us down a path, it leads us on a destination or a direction that leads us to a destination in life. See, too often what happens though is I think we often sacrifice our long-term uh, values for what we can receive in the immediate, what we can receive in the moment. See, most of us, right, we're, we're usually smart enough to avoid the, the big things in life, right, that, that we tend to not blow up our lives too much. Most of us, most of the time, 
What often catches us up is a series of smaller decisions, seemingly less significant choices that eventually lead us to a place that we never intended to go to. And once we're there, we don't know what to do about it. And we don't know how to get ourselves out of it. See, the Bible is full of, of different lists, right? And the Bible is clear. There are lists of things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. All kinds of things that we shouldn't do, right? We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't hate other people, right? We shouldn't do things that are intentionally hurtful towards others. We shouldn't get drunk. We shouldn't slander. There's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that we shouldn't do. There's also all kinds of lists in the Bible of things that we should do, that we should love each other that we should be kind towards others. We should be compassionate. In fact, I would say that followers of Jesus should be the most compassionate, the most generous, the most thankful people on the entire planet, right? That we should help others, that we should consider their needs greater than our own. And most of the time, I think in our lives, most of the time we, we probably get those decisions right. But what about the gray areas? What about the things that aren't necessarily good or bad, right? Like it's not a, it's not a clear one. It's not, not super obvious. And, and there isn't a clear direction maybe in, in scripture, right? In terms of, of how we should make that decision or where we should go. Do I stay here or, or do I move for that opportunity that's opened up? Is he or she the, the right one for me? Should I buy this house or should I buy that house down the street or, or this car or that car, right? Should I get the, the stuff that's more expensive that's gonna last me for a long time or should I get the cheaper stuff that is gonna fall apart sooner and then I'm gonna have to replace it? Should I sell that or should I start this? Should I stop that? Should I invest here? Should I commit there? And so how do we make decisions when there isn't a specific verse to kind of guide us or, or to help us in that decision-making process? How do we know what is the best choice? Are there questions that we can ask that will help us know what to do? I'm glad you asked that because that's a very good question. In fact, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14. And that's what we're going to uh, take a look at today. Luke chapter 14, uh, while you're turning there, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. We've got uh, uh, an app that you can download where there are notes. You can add your own notes and send them to yourself. Or we're gonna put all the verses up on the side screens as well so you can follow along there. While you're turning to, to Luke 14, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. In this chapter and, and even really the chapter before it, Jesus is confronting the, uh, the, the conventional wisdom of the day. Right, and so the, the religious leaders had created all these rules around the Sabbath of things that you couldn't do. And, and so Jesus wanted to challenge those rules a little bit. In fact, there are several times where Jesus specifically and intentionally performed miracles on the Sabbath. And he got the religious leaders all worked up because he wanted them to see that they were focusing on the, on the wrong things. In this chapter, he challenged people who were concerned with their status over, over the needs of others. They were putting themselves first instead of helping others or, or serving others. They were focused on the wrong things. And finally, he was challenging those who were just following him casually, kind of doing the whole convenient Christianity thing, right? Or, or those that maybe were just caught up in the excitement of the moment. Jesus is healing people and doing miracles and teaching radically new things. And, and maybe it was just an exciting crowd to be a part of. Here's what he says in Luke 14, beginning at verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
Well, that's fun, right? Like that's a, you're like, wow, there, there's a reason why we don't teach on this passage on Mother's Day, right? Because it's like, this is, a, this is hardcore. What it, why is Jesus saying this? Jesus' goal was never to be liked by everyone, okay? So that wasn't, that wasn't his goal. He wasn't concerned with how many likes he was getting on Facebook or any of those things. His only goal was to help people know the life that God intended for them to live. So why, right? Why does he say this? Well, he, he, because he created us. And he knows what is best for us. See, most of the things, I, I really believe this, most of the things that we naturally desire are good. The problem is, is that we try to fill them in the wrong ways or with the wrong things. And so Jesus is trying to teach us that. He's trying to, to refocus us and, and put, the, put things back into the right perspective. Let's look at the first part of this first, right? There's this crowd of people that are following Jesus. And we've said this before. People who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus, right? They, they just did because there, there was something different about him. And then everywhere that Jesus goes, there are crowds of people that are following Jesus. Now, many in this, in this crowd of people were just kind of casual followers of Jesus, right? They would maybe call themselves disciples or students or followers of Jesus, right? But, but they were kind of on the casual side. And so Jesus explained to them, and I believe he's explaining to us as well, what it meant to be his disciple, that they have to love him even more than they love their own family members. Now, I'm confident that Jesus got some angry emails over this statement, right? Like, and I don't know if he pulled a Pastor Mike, if he was like, hey, send them to Peter at 12disciples.com, right? Like that's, that's where you can send your emails. Because I'm sure, I'm sure the disciples even in this conversation, they're wondering what's going on, right? They're wondering what it is that Jesus is doing because they were loving the attention. They loved the huge crowds because they were on the, on the inner circle, of that, right? Their popularity was in direct proportion to the size of the crowd. So the bigger the crowds were, the better they felt about themselves. And Jesus now says, hate your mom, right? Like who says that? Or hate your family. Who would possibly ask their followers to do that? See, it's important to understand a couple things. Jesus is not going against the fifth commandment, right? To honor your father and mother found in, in Exodus 20. He, he's not going against that. And Jesus is not telling people that they need to break up their families, right? Like that's not his intention here at all either. The word hate in, in the Aramaic, the, the language that Jesus was speaking at this time, it, it literally means hate. Like it was, a, it was a strong word. Jesus was really trying to get their attention in it. But what it also really meant was love less. See, it's more of a priority word than it is a relational word. And so Jesus wasn't literally saying that you need to, to hate your family, right? You don't have permission now to, to not invite the in-laws to Thanksgiving. Sorry, but they, they still get to come, right? Like that's not what Jesus was saying. What he is saying is that, yes, you love them, but you need to love them less than you love me. So he was saying to his followers, right, that, that their love for Jesus should be so complete. It should be so wholehearted. That their love for their family members, even their love for themselves should pale in comparison to their love for Jesus. So countercultural, right? What, what Jesus is teaching here. And, and in fact, it was offensive. It was offensive to anyone who wasn't living God's intended ways, right? And so, so choosing to follow Jesus meant that there was possibly alienation that was gonna happen in your life. It could be from your family. It could be from your friends, definitely from, from your community, right? There were all kinds of consequences to following Jesus, which is still very real today. And that's not just something that happens in other parts of the world, right? In years of working with high school students, it happened all the time where students who gave their lives to Christ put their trust in him. It ended, them, it ended costing them relationships, sometimes with boyfriends or girlfriends, 
with friends that were close to them, sometimes on a, on a sports team, sometimes with their, with their family. See, Jesus isn't calling everyone who chooses, or he is, he's calling everyone, sorry, who chooses to follow him, to understand what's involved in following him, to choose whether they were completely committed to him or not. See, there was no middle ground, is what Jesus is saying. You're either all in or you're all out. And if they couldn't make that kind of commitment, then they couldn't be his disciple. But Jesus isn't done yet. Look what he says in verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Right? And, and, and you guarantee in that crowd where there were people who were like, check please, right? Like, uh, I'm done, right? Like, like, I thought church was supposed to make you feel good, right? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel good, Donnie. This is hard. It, it is hard. But it's so, so important. See, besides willing to love Jesus and, and to love, uh, love Jesus more than loving others, right? And, and even more than ourselves, he continues to add to this. He says that we need to carry our cross. And maybe some of you are wondering, I, I hope cross means something better in the Greek than I think it does. No, it doesn't, right? It means exactly what you think it does. That a follower of Jesus must be willing to give up their lives for him. That they're willing to give up their lives to follow him. See, Jesus taught this crowd. He wanted them to, to think through their enthusiasm. He wanted them to think through their levels of commitment. He was challenging those who were superficial, Say, you either got to go deeper in your following, deeper in your commitments, deeper in your relationship with me, or you need to turn back. But hanging out in the middle, it just doesn't work. And so following Jesus is total submission to him, perhaps even to the point of death. See, this truth hasn't changed. It's still relevant. It's still the same for us 2,000 years later. Following Jesus is free, okay? I want you to make sure we understand this because we talk about this all the time here at Hope. Following Jesus is free. I want to be clear. Jesus did everything for your salvation, okay? Everything was accomplished by him. His death on the cross, when he traded his perfection for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world, right? He said, I'll take your sin. You get my perfection. It is all because of what Jesus has done that you are forgiven of your sin, okay? Let's make sure we understand that. You had and have absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. It is all by faith in God's grace. That is the only way. But... And for those of you that are skeptical, right? You're like, oh, here it is, right? Uh, dude, there's always a catch with this whole like God thing and stuff. Now they're gonna ask for all of our money, right? Like that's, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. But there is something here. It says that we need to follow, following Jesus is costly. It's free to receive. But you have to understand that you're gonna have to give up certain things in your life, certain rights, certain privileges. That maybe it's that you don't talk the way that you used to talk. Before Jesus, I talk like this. Now I talk differently. Maybe it's, it's how I treat people. I treated people like this before Jesus, but now I need to treat them this way. Maybe it's how you spend your money, right? I spent it this way before. Now I spend it differently. Whatever those things are, God wants to change parts of our character to make us more and more like Jesus. So your priorities are going to change. They have to. The way you spend your time will change. It has to. Your old way of living has got to be different when you follow Jesus. And you may be persecuted as a result. Right? That's a legit thing. It may cost you a promotion at work. In fact, it may cost you your job entirely. It may cost you a relationship. It may even cost you your family. Let me just say, I'm sorry. If we don't talk about that enough, I, I, I'm sorry that we don't. A relationship with God is free. And it is life-changing. 
It is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. So please hear me on that side, but it will cost you. And not necessarily the same amount for each of us, right? For, for each of us, it might cost us different amounts. And I know this is hard, and, but it's important. And let me tell you why this is important that we understand it. If you're here today and, and you're, you're undecided as to whether you're a follower of Jesus, right? You're like, oh, I've been checking out the whole God thing, checking out the Jesus thing, Donnie. I'm just not sure that I'm ready to, to commit yet. Let me just say, we're so glad you're here. But this is important for you because you need to know what it is that you're getting yourself into. But I want to tell you this, and, and I can't tell you, there aren't words strong enough for me to tell you. It is so worth it. It really is. Like it is worth it times a billion, right? Like there, it is so worth it to follow Jesus, but it is going to impact your decisions and it's going to impact the way that you live your life. But it's for the better. If you trust me on that, it's, it's for the better. But for those of us that are here, they call ourselves followers of Jesus, right? We made a decision at one point. We put our trust completely in him. Let me ask you this question. How seriously are you taking your commitment to him? Because it's serious. It costs Jesus his life. Why would we think that it shouldn't cost us ours? Okay. Everybody take a deep breath, right? Like, whew, that's kind of heavy, right? So, so let me just recap real quick. Like, I'm supposed to hate my family and, and, and I'm supposed to die for Jesus. No, sort of, right? Like maybe a little bit, yeah, but let's, let's put it this way. You're supposed to love your family, but you need to love Jesus more and to live for him with all of your life, that, that he is the, the center of your life. So which is not so bad. And in fact, Jesus then gives us a couple examples and he tells a couple stories of, of why the decisions that we make matter coming out of these verses. Look what it says in verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build, but wasn't able to finish See, when a, when a builder doesn't count the cost, right, or if their estimates are, are, aren't accurate, if they're off, not only does it impact them and, and what they're building, it impacts the people around them as well. I remember there was a subdivision in Apex for years that, that I drove by on a regular basis that had started and there were some families living in it and then it just stopped, right? And so half of it was occupied, half of it was just kind of like a, a ghost town. For years, it was like that. A few weeks ago when we were in, uh, when we were in Haiti, uh, we were driving around and I noticed that every building, like literally every home, because they're all on mountainsides, you can kind of look down, you're over the roofs for a lot of them when you're, when you're on the roads. And, uh, and I looked down and there's like rebar sticking out of all of the roofs. And I thought, man, this is what I'm going to be talking about in a few weeks. And so I asked Danny, who was there with us on the trip, I was like, Danny, why doesn't anybody like finish? Like everybody, like they didn't count the cost, right? And he's like, no, actually, they get a, a discount. They don't have to pay taxes if their house isn't finished. So that's why they have rebar. I'm like, oh, that's genius um, for them. But, but right, but, it, but we understand this. I remember learning this lesson as a kid. My birthday is in, in January. Um, little plug, I like Jeeps and peanut M&Ms. So just tuck that away, do it whatever you want. But I remember when I was a kid, when I had some extra Christmas money that was left over, right? And my birthday is just a few weeks later. I had some birthday money, and so I put it together. And I was going to go to the store, and I was going to buy some G.I. Joe stuff, right? Like that was, that was what I wanted to do. Because even as a Canadian boy, I just really wanted to be a real American hero. And so... 
Yeah, North American, right? We tried to lump ourselves in. The Canadian version had a moose instead of a tank. It was just lame, right? And so I just, I wanted the cool stuff. And so, now this is back in the day with like magazines, right? There's no internet, there's no Amazon bringing it to your house the next day. And so I got out a notepad and a calculator and I'm like adding up all the prices, right? And I discovered that I had enough money to buy the stuff that I wanted. And so I got a ride down to the store and I picked out all my stuff and I took it to the, to the, the cashier and, I, and, I'm, and I'm like getting it like checked out, right? And, and next thing I know, they, they tell me that it's worth, it's gonna cost me more than I had. And I pulled out my little notebook and I checked my research again and I'm like, no, my calculations are right. I'm, I'm very confident the high school girl that's running the checkout counter that she's wrong in this. And then I discovered a thing called tax, right? <laughs> it was so cruel. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, is you're charging me more for this stuff. And I had to learn the lesson the hard way that day is that I hadn't counted the cost first. See, here's why this matters, because it impacts our decisions. Every decision that we make every single day is impacted by this. What we do, how we respond to people, what they say or or how they treat us, what our values are, what our priorities are, how we spend our time or our money, the way that we talk to other people, all of these decisions are impacted by how we follow Jesus. And so if Jesus is just kind of a side thing for you, right? If it's just like I show up for church on the weekend so that I I feel better about myself, that's fine, except you're missing out on so much more than than what Jesus intended here. And I apologize, right? If you didn't know what it was that you were getting into, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But again, I can't stress enough, it is totally worth it. Whatever the cost that comes for you for following Jesus, I promise you, it is worth the cost. Verse 31. Jesus gives another story. He says this, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. See, in this second example, Jesus described this wise king's decision to consider whether he should go to war or not, right? Because he has to decide, should I go and fight with less soldiers or should I, just, should I just try and set up a peace treaty? To rush out and not be prepared would cost him everything. And it would impact the lives of all of those around him. So how do we make good decisions with our lives? See, as a follower of Jesus, I think it's very important that we understand that we need to carefully consider every decision that we make. And so let me show you one more example of a poor decision and and how it went wrong. If you have your Bible, keep your finger in in Luke 14, but I want you to flip over to Genesis 25, all the way back to the beginning. And uh, while you're flipping there, let me just give a quick background on this. Abraham, one of the key characters in the book of of Genesis, we did an entire series on him last fall that you can go back and and check out. He has a son named Isaac. And Isaac is married to Rebecca, and Rebecca and and, and Isaac have two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is, is the oldest of the two sons. That's gonna be important in just a minute. Genesis 25, beginning of verse 27, says this. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild game, and he loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob, right? And already you can see, uh uh-oh, something's happening here. Well, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. 
So he swore on an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. Such a tragic example of short-term thinking in, in decision-making. See, Esau was the oldest. And by being the oldest meant that he was entitled to the birthright. And here's what that meant, that he would get two-thirds of the family estate once his father died. The rest of the kids would have to divide the remaining one-third. He would also be the judge of the family, right? He was the final voice in all decision-making. So he chose what restaurant they were going to go to and what movies they would watch, right? Like, that was all on him. And he would be the one that would receive God's blessing because he was the oldest and he had the birthright. And so Esau, he's out one day hunting, or, or maybe he was out for several days, we don't know. And, and we're not sure if maybe he just, his timing was off and he just wasn't able to, to hit anything, or maybe he dropped his lunch from the tree stand that he was hanging out in. But for whatever reason, he comes back and, and it says that he's starving. Have you, have you ever said that, right? I'm starving to death. You're probably not, or, or you wouldn't be here today, right? And, so, and this is probably where this saying came from all the way back in, in Genesis. And so Esau has this, he's got this tremendous appetite, right? And Jacob happened to have dinner ready. And now Jacob, he's a little shady in this whole deal, right? He doesn't just help his brother out, right? He's, a, he's always looking for the side angle on this. And so, so Esau decided, right? To, but Esau decided to focus on what he wanted now. He was just focusing on the immediate need, this hunger, this appetite that he had, rather than his long-term future benefit. He allowed his appetite to dictate his decision. See, here's the principle in this story. You're always gonna be tempted to trade what is of greater value later for what's most enjoyable now. So your appetites will control your destiny if you don't control your appetites. Your response to your appetites will always determine your future. And so every single day, every single day, you and I are, are focused or, or, or tempted by a, a bowl of stew. Right, that thing that's right in front of us, that it'll just feel good in the moment. That thing that'll be so satisfying right now. Don't trade your significant future for something insignificant now. Back to Luke 14, verse 33, here's what Jesus said. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. See, this is the only way to true fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. Bottom line is this, following Jesus means that we need to carry our cross and count the cost. Let me give you three questions. Three questions to wrap this up that will help you in the decisions that you make on a, on a regular basis. They'll help you make decisions that both honor God and will lead you in a direction to the destination that you want to go to. But let me just say, these, these three questions, they're, they're not gonna automatically answer every question or every decision that, that you face, right? Should I use Crest or, or should I use um, Colgate? Yes, just brush your teeth, right? Like sometimes it doesn't matter, but, but they are gonna be principles that are gonna help you make better decisions. And at worst, even if they don't, right, they're at least gonna slow you down and keeping you from, from making poor decisions in your life. Here's the first question, is God first? is you ask yourself this question, is God first? Do I love God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength? In Luke 10, 27, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. See, do you know what it means, what all means in the Greek? It, you do, it means all, right? Like it's, it's right there. It's not some of, it's, it's not part of, not when it's convenient. God, I'll love you when it's convenient. I'll love you on Sundays or whatever it is, right? Like that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's all of you all the time. Is God first in my life? Is God first? Is he at the center of everything? 
If not, then what do you need to repent of? Which literally just means you change your mind and you change your direction. You go in a different way. If God is first, and what happens is that God's values begin to, to change and, and shape my values, right? That God's character begins to shape my character. God's spirit is going to be speaking to me through his word into my mind. It eliminates selfishness and pride and greed and lust and all of the things that may influence my decision in a way that would take me down a path that I don't want to go down. Everything starts with addressing who is in charge in my life. This is what Jesus meant when he said, carry your cross. He's literally saying that we need to surrender all of my selfish right, desires, all of my pride, all of my attitudes, all of those things. And, and I put God first in my decisions. I choose to love you with all of me and I choose to love others the way that, that I love myself. And if you do this, if you do this, then you won't make a, a sinful decision, right? If you love God with all of you and you love others, you won't make a selfish decision because it would contradict God unless you intentionally choose to do things your way instead of God's way, right? And we've all done that, but the goal is to, to stop doing that. Here's the second question. What's the wise thing to do? Andy Stanley in his book, Ask It, he, he says it this way, in light of my past experience, my future or my present uh, circumstances and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? I love that, right? In light of my past experience, what have I learned from my past, right? The mistakes that I've made or the mistakes that other people have made, maybe even the good decisions with, with great results. How should my past influence my present? How should it influence the decision that I want to make now? And for both Laura and I, um, our, our dads at one point, uh, they both leased cars. And, uh, and the benefit of leasing a car, if you've never done it before, is that every couple of years you turn it in and you get another uh, new car. And so you're basically always driving a new car, which means you have little to no maintenance on it. Um, just as that new car smell is like wearing off, you trade it in and get another one and it starts back up. So you're always living in that, that new car smell, right? It just sounded like a great idea for us. And so we leased a car that was more than, than we would have spent if we had just bought a car, right? Because that's part of it. You get kind of, you don't think about the big picture of it. And we began to make those monthly payments on a car that we would never own. And so basically we're paying to borrow someone's car, right? That's, that's kind of what we were doing. And we were in student ministry at the time, which meant that we were driving students all over the place all the time. And so I had to replace the tires and I put on way more mileage than I was allowed to put on each year because there was restrictions on that. And it only smelled like a new car for about three weeks. And then it just started smelling like a locker room, right? From like the, the kids that we were dragging around in there. And I quickly discovered that our dads were just in a different stage of life, right? And, and in a different financial situation than we were in. They didn't drive a lot. It was a terrible decision for us and we regretted it financially. See, we kind of took the stew, right? We took something that looked good, but we didn't think about the, the long-term ramifications of it. Now we own two older cars rather than leasing one, right? Because we learned from our past. So we've got to consider the past, but we also have to consider my present circumstances based on what's happening right now in my life. Maybe you're single or maybe you're married. Maybe you're with or, or without kids. Right? Maybe you're in debt or you have no debt. What season of life are you in? How much time do you have? What relationships are, are a priority to you? What is your job or school situation looking like? How much money are you making? How much money are your kids costing you, right? Like you gotta weigh all of those things. And then finally, my future hopes and dreams. Where do I wanna be? What do I wanna be doing five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Uh, who will be dependent on me? 
What kind of person do I want to become? What, what character does God want to develop in me? Based on those things, then you ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? Ephesians 5, 15 says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Maybe under that heading of what's the wise thing to do, it's asking questions like this. Will this decision make me a better person? Is this the best use of my resources, right, of my time? Is, is, is this the best? Will this benefit anyone else other than just me? Well, this thing that I want to do, does it have a tendency to control my life or will I be in control of it? Is it useful to my life or is it really just useless? What's the wise thing to do? James 1, 5, if you need wisdom, then ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. See, many things are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. So what's the wisest thing to do, right? What that does is it causes you to think long-term. It causes you to think big picture. Before you feed your appetite, slow down, make yourself a sandwich and, and think about the consequences of what might happen. Here's the third question, it's this. What would I advise someone else in my position to do? Now be careful, Barry, because this one can be a little dangerous because we, we all have a tendency to try and justify the things that we want. And so you need to stay objective when you're asking this question. But when I think about my best friend in life, right, if they were in the exact same situation that I'm in and they had to make this decision and they came to me for advice and I know everything about, about that from this perspective, what would I say to them? Would I tell them that they should do that or would I tell them that they, they shouldn't do that and walk away? See, the advice that you would give to your best friend is probably the advice that you should follow in your life as long as God is first and as long as it's the wise thing for you to do. Here's maybe another way to ask it. Does it bother my conscience, right? Is this gonna keep me up at night? See, I can go home tonight and I can eat an entire carton of ice cream. I've done it before, right? Like I, I can't do that. But, it, but is it best for me? No, no. And I can't go home and do it with a clear conscience, right? It may be perfectly legitimate for me to go do that. But if I can't do it in a good conscience, then, then, then forget it, right? It's wrong for me to do. It might be right for you to do and you're lucky, right? But that's, it's wrong for me to do then I shouldn't do it. Because the Bible teaches clearly that when we doubt something, that we shouldn't do it because doubt becomes the opposite of faith. Maybe you ask it this way, does it hurt others, right, more than help them? And is this the most loving thing to do? Proverbs 12, 15 says this, fools think that their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. See, it's so true. Whether that's listening to trusted advisors in your life before you make those decisions or considering how you would advise someone who had to maybe make the same decision you were. The bottom line is this, following Jesus means that we carry the cross and we count the cost. I hope this series has been helpful to you. It's been challenging to me as I've had to go uh, through this. Will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you. God, thank you that you love us so much. Not only did you die for us, but God, you care about how we live and how we follow you. God, thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. And through his death on the cross, that we have been set free, that we have the chance to be forgiven of our sins and to experience the, the relationship with you and the life with you that you intended from the very beginning. And so God, will you help us to begin to count the cost in our lives, to recognize that what you have done for us and what you offer to us is completely free. But God, there's a cost to it. 
And Father, may we recognize and realize that it is so, that the cost is so insignificant compared to what you've done for us and so insignificant compared to the greatness of you and being in a relationship with you. And so Father, will you help us to make wise decisions with our lives? Father, help us to make decisions that will not cost us our faith, that will not cost us our family, and that will not cost us our future. But God, help us to take those things into consideration. Help us to, to look at the long term, the big picture. Help us to make the wise decisions in our lives. God, we're gonna be faced with bowls of stew this week. Things that are easy, things that are quick, things that are gonna feel good in the moment. God, will you help us to avoid those? Help us to be aware of those things. Help us to slow down and help us to choose the wise thing in our lives. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. We praise you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of the great things God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download our app to find ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.